What's up everybody? Tara Wellman here and the Cardinals closed out Chicago week and now get another look at the AL Central in yet another quick two-game series, this time with the Minnesota Twins. It was 2015 the last time these two teams played and they split the four-game season series, two and two. In all four of those games, Colton Wong hit leadoff. Likely not related, the Cardinals scored a total of eight runs between the four games, six of which came in the first two at home in St. Louis. Unlike the Cardinals, the Twins are coming off of a somewhat surprising postseason appearance in 2017 that was short-lived but no doubt long celebrated because they'd lost 103 games the year before. This year, the Twins tried to solve some of their pitching woes, but it hasn't all worked out quite according to plan. So joining me to hopefully explain that plan and more is Minnesota Twins reporter Brandon Warren. So, Brandon, first of all, thanks so much for joining me. How's it going? Hey, not too bad. Thanks for having me on. We want to talk a little bit about the series coming up the next couple of days, but before we do that and get into some of the specifics about this season, I kind of want to take a little bit of a step back because the Twins had a, a cool opportunity early in the year to play in that series in Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. um, and that's it was such a cool thing. I, I didn't get to see a whole lot of it, but what I did see was – just one of those things that I feel like probably had a, a pretty big impact on the guys that were able to go and experience that. So I guess, first of all, having the opportunity for the Twins to go play in Puerto Rico, what do you take away from that? Well, I think it's good to grow the game in places where obviously a lot of talent has come from, but also good for fans to just be able to experience big league baseball that might not all the time. I think, too, the spirit of the island was especially good, considering all they've been through in the last you know handful of months to almost a year now. And so I think it was great to see, even with especially the last game of the series, rolling blackouts for the entire island, these people still turned out and had, I guess, I think their spirits were lifted by it. I'm not here to say that it fixes everything as far as infrastructure or things that are bothering them right now. I mean, after all, the stadium had power with generators and a lot of these people didn't. That's kind of indicative of the power structure that we sometimes see in places like that. But I think it was great for them to see not only big league talent, but some of their native sons in Francisco Lindor, Jose Barrios. And so I was I was pretty psyched to see that. Obviously, Lindor with the home run in the first game and Barrios looked pretty darn good in the second. So I think they got to see some good baseball in addition to their uh, their native sons play quite well in front of them. It's one of the things that I love about something like the World Baseball Classic is that you you kind of get exposed as baseball fans where we sort of tend to just sort of stay in our bubble, right? Whether it's your division or, or your region geographically. Um, but then when you see that the, the passion and the excitement and the competitiveness and just sort of the spirit of sport, I guess, not to get too <laughs> philosophical, but um, it, it really does sort of showcase how much alike people really are and and it's it's just such a cool image I think to be able to share that with so many people was there was there much feedback from the players as they came back from that experience and and what they thought of having the opportunity to be part of it well I think they all felt it was a fairly unique experience I know that we have just seen San Diego and the Dodgers play in Mexico and it sounds like the Yankees and Red Sox will play in London next year and I think anytime you get a unique experience like that There'll be some positives and some negatives, uh, I'm sure. But it was it was just fun to see the twins dress up in their best Puerto Rico kind of um, you know what how they've been influenced by some of their teammates on how to dress up and 
and that sort of thing. So I think it was, uh, especially for the Twins, too, to get away from where it had been 30 degrees and snowing <laughs> here in the Twin Cities. I think it was it was obviously a very positive situation there. So, again, anything they can do to bring the game to not only new fan bases but younger fan bases, and you see the enthusiasm, the chance, the kind of thing that we might see internationally with, uh, you know, football, as they call it in the rest of the world, I think that's that's only a good thing from our standpoint as, as not only writers, but as fans of the game to see it spread in a way where the, the fan base is this on fire for a sport. So I'm hoping that can catch on here a little bit. That flair sometimes gets knocked down a little bit by the way the game is played. But I hope that we can allow that here and it will help you know, be more a more welcoming experience for people who maybe don't feel like baseball is open to them right now. Definitely a cool experience. Definitely cool even to just watch from the outside as, as that happened. But as far as the Twins are concerned this season, a lot of baseball to be played. But early on, what's kind of your, your general report on the Twins so far as far as what's gone right, maybe what hasn't gone right, and just where they are a month or so into the season? Yeah, so I mean, obviously the pitching staff and the rotation most notably has struggled. The bullpen has kind of let them down in spots where they're kind of big spots couple walk-off homers against Addison Reed and uh, an ugly play in Tampa Bay with Zach Duke missing first base, allowing a wing run to come home. There's just been kind of small things there. I think the cold weather and the in uh, you know the inconsistency of actually playing games to start the year really was a struggle for them to get into you know some kind of routine playing every single day. And there were stretches where they didn't have on-field batting practice for six or seven days. And so I think what they're doing right now is kind of finding their footing you know, fortunately, it's against the Chicago White Sox, not exactly a good baseball team right now, or maybe all year. But they are, they're trying to find their footing, and, and what's fortunate is they'll play about 60 games this year against the Royals, White Sox, and Tigers, all of whom project to lose 90 ball games, which should help them kind of turn this around. But you never want to be six or seven games under 500 at any point in the year, and I think that's part of the, the struggle is that Lance Lynn and Logan Morrison really had truncated spring training experiences and, and spring training matters for a lot of these guys. And when you see Lance Lynn throwing 95, you're encouraged. But when you see that he can't locate, you know, it kind of comes back to, well, that's where those two extra weeks of spring training would have helped. Um, you know, Miguel Sano being hurt, Byron Buxton being hurt, that that's bad. I mean, obviously your two franchise cornerstones missing time is, is obviously going to be a big negative, but in turn guys like Max Kepler and especially Eduardo Escobar have kind of turned things around and Joe Maurer seems to be turning back the clock. So it's, it's a team that, is, for, for everything you'd expect, you know, they're four games under 500 coming into the St. Louis series. You would expect them to be, uh, you know, licking their wounds a little bit more than they are. They've had some guys really step up. And so it's, it's not a team that's as down and out as you might expect. But at the same time, St. Louis is going to give them a really good challenge. So it's going to be a fun series, even though it's just a short one here. Yeah, these, these two game sets don't give you a whole lot of time to get comfortable in, in any way. Uh, you mentioned a lot right. of guys that I wanted to ask you about specifically. Let's sort of start with that offense. You mentioned Joe Maurer doing what Joe Maurer does. Brian Dozier seems like he's coming around. Are those two guys who may be the most familiar names to, to, to fans of other organizations that aren't necessarily up on uh, all things twins, are, are those guys still kind of the heart and soul of what this offense does? Well, they hit first and second in one order or the other, and so they kind of make this offense go. Joe Maurer's been hitting leadoff the last few days with Brian Dozier hitting second, and it was a flip-flop because Joe Maurer's had an on-base percentage over 400 all season long, whereas 
Dozier went through like a four for 30 something slump and then kind of turned it around here in Chicago. You know, if you want to score runs, have the on-base guy at the top, and that's that's kind of what they've been planning on. Everything else has been kind of fluid. They've had Eddie Rosario hit third at times, Max Kepler. Even, you know, Eduardo Escobar has been in the middle of the order, which you wouldn't ordinarily expect from a guy that size or with his career numbers. But Logan Morrison's slow start has kind of got him pushed down the order a little bit, but he's starting to warm up a little bit too. And, you know, I mentioned Rosario. He's had a really, really nice start to May. So, Everything starts, though, at the top, just like any good offense. And so it'll probably be Maurer, Dozier, and then fill in the blanks from there for this upcoming Cardinal series. One of my uh, listeners to this show uh, always sends me questions to ask on these series previews. Uh, he mentioned that he had just picked up Eduardo Escobar in his, on his fantasy team, oh, and he wanted to know, is this guy legit? <laughs> is this something that you see continuing as far as the hot start and the things that he's been able to contribute offensively? No, the problem is he's not really guaranteed his starting job for the entire season because Miguel Sano is the third baseman of record, and so when he's healthy, he's kind of the guy. And Jorge Polanco will be back from a suspension here in about a month and a half. So I'm not so sure I would have done what that guy did, but hey, maybe he can ride the wave for a month and then flip him back for something else. But at the same time, I think I saw it was for Jeff Samarja, who is a nice pitcher when he's rolling well, but... He's a, he's a little too hit or miss for uh, you know a lot of people in fantasy stuff. So I, I have no problem riding the Escobar train for now, but I'm not sure if it's something I would ride long term. He's, he's not quite this kind of player. He's a pretty nice player. He's a free agent at the end of the year. But this is, this is unbelievable. He's, he's basically doing his best Miguel Sano impersonation with Sano out. Which is a nice thing to have when you need somebody to step up in that spot. He's also a guy with a lot of personality. Now, that doesn't necessarily translate to production on the field or in in, in any way that there are (laughs) analytics to define. But how much does having a guy like that, when a team struggles, when they haven't quite found their footing, make a difference in the clubhouse? Well, he keeps everybody loose, whether it's he's got a stuffed horse He's got some jokes with Brian Dozier about him looking like Paul Walker from the Fast and Furious series. He's got nicknames for everybody. He's got handshakes. He's got all that stuff that you would want to see. And I just think he's a real unifying kind of gravitational force. Everybody can't help but be attracted to his personality. And when when he's around, even the lows don't feel that low. Now, with that said, he was on the team two years ago that lost 103 games and is the reason why. The Twins drafted first overall last June. So he knows, and all these guys know what it's like to go through that. And I think that that also, in addition to his personality, but also knowing where they've been and where they're going, and obviously being good last year as well, helps a lot. So I think, you know, I know that we're statistically conditioned to say the clubhouse stuff doesn't matter that much or at all, but I think I think there's some value to it. I just think that if we tried to put a number on it, that's where we would kind of get crossed up. And I think to some degree, there's always this argument about, well, what comes first, the the clubhouse culture or the winning? I was having this conversation with someone about the Cardinals the other day because they've got a group of guys right now with the likes of Dexter Fowler and Marcelo Zuna and Colton Wong and, and Jose Martinez. They're some of the most likable guys that I can remember in, in recent years for the Cardinals. Uh, and they seem to be having just a lot of fun on and off the field. Now, the Cardinals have also had a pretty good week on the field. So which comes first, the the clubhouse culture or the wins? I don't know that there's ever really a good answer to that. Well, I think Jim Leland said that if they're winning ball games, they're going to have fun in the clubhouse by <laughs> definition. So that was that was about ten or twelve, maybe even fifteen years ago with the Tigers. And 
yeah, when you win, you can't help but have fun. So I don't know if, if you're not having, uh, if you're not winning, if you have to flip a switch to, to have fun and that just kind of, you know, takes hold. I think, though, it's, it's very much a chicken or egg scenario. Yeah, it's it's definitely a lot easier to to just win, and then that tends to take care of a lot of those yeah. things. You mentioned sure. Logan Morrison off to a bit of a slow start. What's sort of holding him back? What is it that that isn't clicking for him right now? Um, I think you know for a while it looked like his swing was a little long, but I think I don't know that that's necessarily the case. A friend of mine broke down his swing and said that all the pieces were right; they just weren't quite synchronized. And I think now that's starting to come into form. And I think it's—I think a swing can look long early in the season when it's cold out and you're not catching up the fastballs when it's just kind of, you know, it's just a, 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 a mechanical flaw rather than an actual length issue on the swing. So I don't know if there's been necessarily some small things they've been working on or if it's been just kind of staying true to what has worked in the past. Because obviously his track record of success is pretty short, 30 home runs, plus last year with the Rays, and then like the two years before that, he had even fewer combined. So I think part of that too, you know, there's there's kind of that dynamic of if a slump is easier to deal with if you're a veteran, well, does that change if you've been this type of hitter for only a year? So I think he's working through some things both mentally and physically, and I really do think he's come come around. He did have a big hit against a lefty today too, which is always tough for, for left-handed hitters. So I think it'll, it'll be a couple more weeks, and he'll pretty much be back to his – his norms number-wise, which is obviously a very, very good sight for sore eyes. I was going to ask sort of what your expectations are of him, because over the course of the offseason, and actually for the last couple of years, uh, the Cardinals always seem to end up in the rumors regarding Logan Morrison. Um, what were your expectations for him and how he fits into this team and what the Twins are trying to do? Well, it wasn't clear that the Twins would need a designated hitter because Miguel Sano had a leg issue that kind of bothered him towards the end of last year. And so there was a question of if he would come back 100%. And, you know, by the looks of it, his, his leg is fine. It's his hamstring now that's bothering him. But with, uh, you know, D, the team hit last year. They scored a whole bunch of runs with Sano on the shelf in the second half. Obviously, Escobar picked up the slack back then, too. So I think the thought was they were going to have pitching, 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 and more pitching and probably just leave the offense as is. Well, at the end of the day, that leaves you with Robbie Grossman DHing, which is obviously not ideal. So they basically had Morrison fall into their laps. It's a, it's a little surprising that, um, you know, that uh, the, the first baseman that signed with the uh, with Cleveland, the name is escaping me right now, um, y- Yonder Alonso. They had very similar seasons. Alonso signed very early in the po- uh, pre- er, excuse me in the offseason, whereas Morrison kind of had to wait. I, I don't really understand why one guy signed and one didn't. The rumor was that Morrison had gotten a deal and, uh, or an offer similar and, and they shot it down but at the end of the day um you know i think they're very similar players and i think you can expect probably 25 28 homers pretty good on base percentage and then he also can take pressure off joe mauer defensively at first like he did today which is is good you want to keep everybody's legs feeling healthy and and i think that's the i think that's what they're trying to do here and so i think he fits really well in the culture though he's kind of an intense guy as we saw with his twitter account but um you know you might have got we might have gotten vibes of him being kind of a you know, shaky character guy or anything. And so far, I haven't seen anything to that effect. Everybody seems to really like him as a personality. It's always good when that's the way that that goes and not the other way around. You expect someone to come yeah. in and oh, be yeah. a clubhouse guy and they're not. <laughs> right. Yeah, they, they've got this power structure with Tory Hunter and Michael Kadire 
and Latroy Hawkins and and you know a lot of retired players who can do this kind of recon work. They've played a lot of places. They know a lot of people that they can call up and ask. You know, hey, is Zach Duke a good clubhouse guy? Is Logan Morrison a good clubhouse guy? Is Lance Lynn a good clubhouse guy? Obviously, some of those guys you guys are familiar with. And so it um, it helps to have that kind of um, expertise from guys who have played recently and have a very wide web of contacts still in the game. Yeah, it's nice to have that sort of relevancy from the guys that you can uh, can draw from their experience. Now, you mentioned some of the injuries, one of them being Byron Buxton. What is missing from this team with him out of the lineup and, and out defensively every day? I watched him. I, I work... Uh, a lot of minor league games during the season. And when he played in the Midwest league, I saw a lot of Byron Buxton. I know what he can bring to the table even then. So what's missing from this team without him? Well, I mean, your lineup just gets that much shorter and the bench was already a three man bench. So when, obviously when Sano got hurt too, you know, they, they had to make a move pretty quickly. The trouble is you might like your starting lineup, but when you're forced to play someone off the bench every day, you have to go get someone from the minors who didn't make your club. And suddenly Again, your lineup's shorter, your bench is shorter with guys that you really don't want to see every single day, whether it's Ron Lamar or Rianza or Gregorio Petit at this point. I mean, basically minor league lifers. And so, um, you know, Bobby Wilson came up because Jason Castro's hurt now. It's, it's tough. It, when, you're, when your lineup gets that much shorter and you start adding guys to the bottom of it who are, um, I wouldn't say automatic outs, but are certainly guys that are not bat-first players, you know, a good offense becomes mediocre really quickly when you miss 15 or 20 games of a guy who you expected to get five or 600 at-bats. Um, you know, it's easy to forget that 15 games is almost 10% of the season, and that's what, you know, the old disabled list used to be. So as much as we think it's just two weeks or 10 days, it adds up quickly. And, and you know, especially with Buxton defensively, too. The, the drop-off from even Max Kepler, who I call the B-plus defensive center fielder, like the drop off is is massive. It's like you guys know going from, you know, Albert Pujols to maybe Matt Carpenter. That's it's a big drop off. It doesn't mean that it it matters a ton for the team on the whole, but there are certain plays or certain instances where it really stands out. And you know, Kepler had a few plays he didn't make that were, you know, eighty percent hit probability plays according to Statcast, and we're used to Buxton making those when you watch him. So. It's not necessarily egregious, but you can definitely feel on individual plays where you miss a player such as Buxton. It sounds like from what I've heard and from what I've seen from you, you're pretty high on Kepler. Why is that? Yeah. What What do you like in what he has to offer, even if it's not Byron Buxton defensively, which, let's be honest, not many people are. What is it that, that he's sold you on? It's, it's a really good approach, and he's really smart. And the other thing, too, is he was a very raw athlete coming out of Ger Germany. His parents were dancers, I believe is how the story goes. And so he kind of learned baseball on the fly in America as a teenager. And then it's been a slow burn for him at every level. He went from struggling in the, I want to say, Midwest League to uh, within two years he was the MVP of the Southern League over Orlando Arcia, who was a pretty darn good player in his own right. And when Kepler was an MVP in AA, he was killing left-handed pitching. Well, that was the one thing that had really evaded him to this point in the big leagues. And now I think he's got almost as many extra base hits this year against lefties as he had all of last year. So I felt like that was kind of the last thing he was missing. The, the eye at the plate against righties is good. He has enough pop. He's got a nice line drive swing. I don't know if he'll ever hit 25 homers or anything like that. But 
the total package as a player here is, is pretty nice. He, he moves good in the outfield. He's got a fairly decent arm. It's, it's, it's not a superstar profile, but you need guys like this to, to kind of come up and be solid players. I mean, these are the kind of guys the Cardinals find out of thin air, the Jose <laughs> Martinez's and the you know Tommy Fams. Maybe he won't be Tommy Pham, but if he's close, that's a pretty nice deal for the Twins. Yeah, let's uh, be realistic. Not many people can be Tommy Pham. And I don't know that many people would have said Tommy Pham would be Tommy Pham. So you're right. right. Sometimes these guys come up and, you know, it's you mentioned minor league lifers. I mean, that sort of was Jose Martinez until about a year ago. And, and all of a sudden, um, he's turned a lot of heads, as has Tommy Pham. So you never know when one of those guys is going to step up and be something special. But even if they don't, you're right. Every team needs those guys that are just going to be really solid in every aspect of the game and that can can do that consistently. Now, you mentioned pitching being kind of a focus for the front office over the course of the offseason. Brought some guys in, including Lance Lynn, uh, that, that Cardinals fans are very familiar with. We'll talk a little bit more about him specifically because uh, Lance Lynn is a gem, and I hope that Twins fans are getting to see that. But he's coming off of what he called maybe the worst month of his career. So when you look at this starting rotation, what it was supposed to be compared to what you've seen out of the first month, what what needs to happen? Well, um, you know, with Lynn, obviously the walks, I mean, 20-some walks in a month, I'm, I'm sure he hasn't done that in two months in his career. And I know last year, I mean, I know he's not a huge command guy, and I know last year with the return from Tommy John, he kind of had two separate halves where, he had a lot of strikeouts in one half and then a lot of homers. And then in the second half, the strikeouts kind of tailed off and the homers did as well. Um, you know, it's just a lot of these guys that are off. And then whether it's the weather, whether it's some kind of external force, I, I don't know. But Jake Odorizzi was, you know, he was okay, but not great. They, they've really missed Urban Santana. Jose Barrio started off really, really good and then cooled off. He hasn't been the same since Puerto Rico, which obviously was an emotional high. And I don't know if. You know, you'd have to check his velocity, but I wouldn't be surprised if that spiked in Puerto Rico as well. Um, you know, Phil Hughes, coming back from one thoracic outlet surgery is, is obviously a big deal. Coming back from two is almost impossible. Yeah. So I'm a little bummed. Uh, you guys were going to have Fernando Romero against Carlos Martinez on Monday, and now that's shifted. I was hoping for that because that was going to be a really fun one. But Romero is extremely, extremely exciting. So John Gant will be okay for a matchup, but Martinez and Romero would have been a lot of fun. Still, though, um, you know, it's it's some kids kind of finding their way and then some vets that just kind of haven't pulled their weight. Trevor May isn't far off. Irvin Santana isn't far off. So they've got the room to make some changes. Kyle Gibson was good today again. It's just a matter of rounding into form. They've got the horses, which was not always the case two three years ago when guys were coming up from AAA like P.J. Walters, who I know Cardinals fans are probably uh, more familiar with than I would expect. <laughs> but, yeah. Having guys like that make 15 starts for you is, is not a good look. And the Twins are, are out of the woods as far as that is concerned. But the injuries still haven't helped much in terms of a, you know, a real consistent five-man rotation moving forward. Now, I don't know that you will have had the full Lance Lynn experience until he's pitching better. When he's pitching well... <laughs> When he's pitching well, um, there is nothing like a Lance Lynn post-game interview. It is, it is 
must watch television, I must say. Um, so, so just hang in there, wait till Lance Lynn is at his best. Uh, because I have, I actually have the video somewhere on my computer. I'll have to share it with you, so you, so you, uh, so you know what I'm talking about. Um, I've gorged on some of his post-game YouTube stuff too. It's yeah, really it's funny. Phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. uh, there was one game where um, he basically answered every question with, "Well, I just throw fastballs." Like every question uh, was, <laughs> "Well, I threw a fastball." Yeah, it was a pretty good fastball. Well, I threw 112 yeah. fastballs. Just pure gold. So I hope that, I, for for your sake, for Twins fans' sake, I hope that Lance Lynn gets back to form so that you can really take it all in. <laughs> it's it's so weird. I haven't covered one of his starts yet either. I, they've all fallen on my off days, which is kind of a bum deal. But I I suspect I'll get his start against St. Louis here next time around in whatever, 10 days, because I know that he's scheduled right now to face St. Louis in Minneapolis here next time around. So... He'll get his old friends, and who knows what he's got up his sleeve. I'm sure it's fastballs, though. Probably. That's according to him. That's yeah. all he ever throws. Um, <laughs> you mentioned the matchups for for this series, though, and and you're right. It was supposed to be Romero versus Martinez. Things got shifted around a little bit. That would, w on paper, that had the makings of kind of an instant classic as far as pitching matchups go, with just the the potential and the raw talent from those two guys. Now. Romero just made his debut. He's an incredible talent for the Twins. I believe you were at that game. What, for people who haven't seen him pitch, what are we looking for out of Romero in this start? Uh, he throws hard. He's got a really nice slider. Good feel for pitching. He's a very smart kid. Uh, he came into the clubhouse bouncing off the walls that day. So the energy, if it was nervous, it was nervous energy like, <laughs> like Red Bull times three. But he... He really harnessed it well, and he got into a couple spots where he kind of had to calm himself down. He got a double play ball from, I want to say it was Teoscar Hernandez, but um, only one extra base hit. I mean, the stuff is really good, but just like any other star pitcher of that caliber and of that type, the command is, is going to rule the day. I think you guys have seen that with Martinez just as well. Some nights he'll walk seven batters, and he can still be dominant in that start. He might just only give up one or two hits instead. So that's going to be kind of the the story of his early career is how quickly he hones his command. Um, again, and assuming he stays healthy because anybody who throws 96 to 98 is going to have to deal with that sooner or later. So very, very exciting, fun arm. Um, and to that end, I don't know much about John Gant. So it'll still probably be a pretty good matchup, but I just don't think it's as fun as, as Romero versus you know, Carlos Martinez. It's not quite the headliner, that's for sure. But John Gant is a guy right. who uh, the Cardinals are pretty high on. He's been in Memphis most of the last two years. Um, he made a, a relief appearance a couple of weeks ago and pitched three perfect innings uh, and then went back down to Memphis. So this will be his first Major League start this year. He's a guy that uses the fastball a lot. He's got a changeup and a curveball that are pretty good. Uh, in particular, the curveball, he doesn't throw it a ton, but it's good when he throws it. Um, and, mm -hmm. and he just has a lot of life on that fastball. So I'm just as interested to see how he fares uh, against Major League hitters in his first start. Uh, because there's a lot to like. Uh, there's just not been a lot of opportunity for him at the Major League level. Um, he's one of those guys that I don't know that we want him making eight or nine starts this year, but to have him there as one of the first couple of guys up. The Cardinals have had uh, Jack Flaherty make a couple of starts, and now John Gant getting a chance to start. He's a, he's a good 
tool to have uh, at their disposal, but not quite the premier matchup. Then, of course, in Game 2, you mentioned Odorizzi, and then that will be when Carlos Martinez pitches. Jake's had a little bit of trouble this season. You mentioned a little bit of of sort of what's been going on there, the slow start. What do you want to see out of him that would signal progress on his part? Probably just keeping the ball in the ballpark. I think that's where it (laughs) begins and ends with him. I mean, the the stuff is not that impressive. It's 92 and up, but it's spin rate, it's deception, it's location. When he does all those things well, he's he's just – you watch him pitch and you're not that impressed. It's not like you're watching James Shields, who's like 88, 89 nowadays. You you don't don't get that frustrated that a pitcher like that is beating you, but it's still like you don't really quite get what the deal is when you're watching it because he looks – a little more hittable than you'd expect. He's really tough on lefties, so return, he's a reverse split kind of guy. And I think it's because he's got kind of a fading split change that he throws that's just really hard to pick up out of the hand. And so, you know, anytime a righty can neutralize lefties, he's got a chance. It's just a matter of, again, you got to keep the guys like Jose Martinez in the yard because that's that's where it's going to begin and end with him. He has, he has way too many starts of two or three home runs. When he can hold it to one or zero, that's... Just like any other pitcher, he's going to be successful more often than not. But again, yeah, it's it's hard to see what the hype was about with him because he doesn't have big flash. He's not physically imposing. Doesn't get a ton of grounders. But sometimes guys like that are like Jose Quintana. They just go out and beat you. And you just kind of are left throwing your hands up and not really sure what you just saw. But when it happens more often than not, there must be something there. Yeah, those tend to be the kinds of pitchers that that do get the Cardinals. Is the guys that you you leave right. the game thinking, huh? That that seemed beatable, <laughs> but it wasn't. Right. Uh, and then on the flip side, Carlos Martinez, as you mentioned, um, he's been so much fun to watch this year. And I, I keep saying this, but I feel like it's relevant every time. Even if he didn't play for the team that I focus on. I would want to watch Carlos Martinez starts. He's he's that exciting to watch. And I, I want to get your opinion on him because I know you, you were excited about the potential of a, a Romero-Martinez uh, matchup. So what do you see when you watch a guy like Carlos Martinez and, and what he's been able to do in a relatively young career, but especially this season so far? I think where I put him is in kind of this class of raw talents that – have done a lot and can still do so much more. It's just a matter of being a, a, basically a ball of clay that can be molded, whether it's by a pitching coach or by their own work ethic. I think of Danny Salazar in a similar similar way. These guys have all the physical talent in the world, and even on their you know their days where they don't have their peak stuff, they can beat some pretty good offenses. Obviously, Martinez is much more accomplished. And so what I really like about him, in addition to the velocity and the stuff, I like anybody that gets – strikeouts along with grounders command is obviously the kind of the galvanizing force of those three but when you can strike out you know around a batter per inning and get 50 percent grounders or thereabouts that's kind of what i look for when i'm trying to figure out who's going to be an ace and you know i think in some ways you know he's had some some hiccups where the strikeouts maybe didn't come quite as quickly as people wanted or he'd have situations where he would walk five six batters and just not look on his game but you just can't quit on a talent like that. A guy, a guy that throws mid nineties heat and just just looks electric on the mound. It might be just his aura, the way he carries himself, but it's it's contagious. And like you said, even if you don't have a rooting interest or 
you're getting paid to write a story about the game or or do a podcast about it, you can't help but flip the TV on and be entertained for a couple hours while these guys are in the game. And, you know, it, the, the difference is which of those guys take the next step. And, and Martinez, to me, seems like the kind of guy who's certainly capable of it. Again, just like we always say, assuming they stay healthy, which is is obviously the biggest issue in today's game is keeping pitchers healthy, which I'm not sure we have a better answer for now than we did five years ago. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a great point. There seem to be more injuries than ever and not, uh, not as many answers to go along with it. But Carlos, outside of his opening day start against the Mets, uh, I think has made some really significant strides this year in being able to uh, sort of really pitch and not just throw um, and and also be able to sort of work through those moments where his mechanics aren't quite right and get them mm-hmm. back to where they need to be, which is an improvement over, over instances where, like you said, he'll walk seven and then strike out seven and you have no idea what you just saw because it was so inconsistent. Um, and, and outside of that opening day start, the consistency has been, uh, I would say significantly improved, which is uh, a great thing for Cardinals fans. Um, and, and for anyone who likes good pitching, which, uh, hopefully we'll see some of in this series. And then we'll, uh, get a look at Lance Lynn, maybe the next time around. Um, and I hope you get to experience the full Lance Lynn at that point as well. So, I'll let you get back yeah. to your evening, but uh, thanks for taking a little bit of time to talk about the Twins with me. Yes, thank you so much. Well, the Twins are coming to town on a bit of a winning streak, three straight for the Minnesota team. The Cardinals coming off of what was, by most accounts, a pretty successful week, at least as far as the on-field results. But off the field, well, there are some guys that will stay off the field. Dominic Leone went down, but Norris is out for at least a couple of days. Tommy Pham is out for a couple of days, but it's Tommy Pham, so we'll see. And then, of course, Yadier Molina going down with an injury that will keep him off the field for, doctors say, four weeks. We don't know what Yadier Molina has to say about that. But nonetheless, the Cardinals are a little worse for the wear after Chicago week, and there's no rest for the weary. Straight into two with the Twins before the next off day. So we'll have to see who steps up for the Twins and for the Cardinals. Thanks again to Brandon for joining me. Be sure to follow him on Twitter to check in on Lance Lynn every now and then. I'm Tara Wellman. I'll see you next time. <laughs>